0: What is up, Irish fans? Welcome back to the Slanisher Route. I am your host, Jack Leniart, and we have a pretty full episode for you today. First, I talk with former Notre Dame tight end Anthony Fasano. We spoke about his time at Notre Dame, his transition to the NFL, and also his career outside of football. After that, Nathan Erbach from Slot the Sign joins me to talk about the Notre Dame men's basketball team and to break down the performances of some Notre Dame players at the recent NFL Combine. Before we get to those interviews, we have a quick word about anchor. I'm now joined by former Notre Dame and NFL tight end Anthony Sassano. Anthony, how are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, now, Anthony, I kind of wanted to start off with your early football career. So when you were playing in high school, when did you first start receiving attention from some of the major college football programs?
1: Um, it's a long time ago. I have to go back. <laughs> um, I'd have to say sophomore year. Uh, you know, you end up doing some of those seven-on-seven camps and uh, uh, doing some team camps uh, at local colleges and, and, You know, the coaches hang around and start giving you some interest. So I guess sophomore year um, and then going into junior year, you know, it really picked up.
0: Yeah. And so do I have this right? You were a a multi-sport athlete in high school?
1: Yeah, I played uh, football, baseball, basketball, baseball for my first two years, track uh,
0: junior and senior year. Awesome. And do you think I, – I know nowadays there's kind of a new wave where coaches want kids to specialize in one sport. Do you think playing those multiple sports kind of helped you out in the long run? 100%, yeah. I'm totally
1: against uh, the single-sport athletes. Uh, I think it's important to be able to g- gain the coordination but also uh, use different muscle groups and put your body in different positions to uh, – I think in the long run helps prevent some injuries.
0: Yeah, definitely. Now, leading up to your time uh, at Notre Dame, um, I believe you had already committed and, and there was a bit of turmoil at the at the head coach position uh, at Notre Dame. So originally you committed to Bob Davy when he was the head coach. And then after he was fired, there was uh, that whole fiasco with, with George O'Leary when, where he had the job for I think it was like a week or something like that uh, before Ty Willingham came in. And uh, just curious, I mean – thinking of like the the mind of uh, someone who's in high school uh, talking about a a big decision like this with your family. Did your commitment ever waver during that time?
1: Yeah, it was a unique situation. Um, Supposedly George O'Leary was on his way to my high school uh, when the news broke and he he never actually came and turned around. So I technically had Bob Davey, George O'Leary, Ty Willingham, and Charlie Weiss uh, all as – as head coaches at some point in my somewhat of a career there. But, uh, no, you know, it's a little different nowadays. Kids commit to schools to, you know, certain coaches or who can get them into the NFL, you know, as quick as possible. Um, But, you know, when I was coming out, at least my mindset was, I was committing to a school. Um, So, you know, it never wavered. Uh, I felt like I would, would, uh, you know, either prove or not prove myself. Uh, any coach that was there, but I wanted to go to Notre Dame. So uh, I I stayed committed throughout that and uh, happy I did so.
0: It's great to hear. Um, Now, your senior season in 2005, you were a part of, uh, at least in my opinion, one of the all-time great moments in Notre Dame football history with what was called the pass-right play um, in in honor of uh, a young Notre Dame fan, Montana um, when you guys were playing against Washington, uh, do you remember any of the specifics of that play or, or that game leading up to it?
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's a memory. Uh, I don't think I'll ever, forget. but, um, <clears throat> earlier in the week, coach Weiss had met with, uh, a young local boy who who was sick and, uh, you know, coach, coach Weiss, you know, it could come off hard, but he has a, you know, really soft heart and, uh, Cares a lot about children, does a lot for o- other people, and uh, he met with his boy. And he was he allowed the boy to call a call the first play of the game, um, and he said, that, you know, pass right, not knowing specifics. Um, we got in, and coach told us about the situation, and you know, we were all on board. When it comes to the game, we ha- we got backed up. We didn't have a good kickoff return. We were on our you know, inside the five yard line, backed up, and we we were we weren't sure if he was going to still call the play because it was not a play. You, normally call in that situation but he stuck to his guns and uh he called it and uh Brady rolled out in our own end zone and hit me you know I, I jumped over the guy um not really having planned that before um and you know after the game it was, it was great you know we got the win and you know also um was able to come through on that play but he, uh, the child, the boy, happened to pass away uh, the night before the game. So unfortunately, he wasn't able to see the play, but uh, it, it was that much more, um, you know, special to, to be able to hold to his word and, and, and complete the play for, for his family.
0: Yeah, I mean, just a absolutely touching story for not just Notre Dame fans, but football fans in, in general, and sure. <laughs> fans of life, really. Um, sure. So. At the end of the 2005 season, you you still had a year of eligibility remaining, but you had been entered in for, for all four years. So you were able to graduate and decided that you wanted to declare for the NFL draft. Um, and I know right now we, we're just passing the, the NFL combine that uh, just took place this past weekend. Actually, I think still might be going on. Um, and so I was just curious about the, the overall transition from college to the NFL. What are – some of the bigger hurdles that I guess aren't really talked about. I mean, obviously you have just the increase in, in the overall talent, but what were some, some challenges in that transition that um, that people might not know about?
1: Um, you know, I think it's easier when you have some, you know, a good uh, support system around you, you know, family, friends, agents, coaches, uh, which I felt like I did. So I, I felt like it was somewhat smooth, Um you're kind of running from one thing to the next preparing on one thing to the next. So you, you don't even really have the free time to stop and take it all in. And, you know, uh, realize the crazy point in your life that you're in, but, um, you know, I, I, I felt like I, I embraced it. Uh, I tried to maximize my opportunity, um, you know, and stay focused. You know, I was able to you know, graduate and kind of put the studies behind me and really focus on, um, you know, getting ready for the NFL. So, that and just being open-minded you know you there's a lot of decisions that uh, you know you're not in control of so uh, you know control we control and then deal with whatever you can't and um, you know besides the the increase in talent and moving different cities and you know being a 21 22 year old guy playing against 35 year olds um, you know that's one thing but uh, transition as long as you're open-minded and you're focused um, you know, I, I think it'll work out well.
0: Yeah. And this year, I, I'm not sure how, how close you may have been following some of the storylines, but uh, another day wide receiver, Chase Claypool, when he weighed in at the Combine, he had gained, I think it was about like 10 pounds since the Senior Bowl. And so there were some rumors uh, that he may consider a position switch to from wide receiver to tight end. And in my opinion, I think that uh, people were kind of oversimplifying a bit and how that would have been a relatively easy transition for him since he, he had the body size for it. Um, just curious to hear your opinion about some of the more technical or, or, or um, maybe more subtle details and the differences between the two positions that would make a, a transition like that tough for a player, especially trying to make that transition in the NFL.
1: Yeah, Um for me I was really um you know a pass catching and blocking tight end. So for for a receiver to come in and try to play a role that I I put myself in I think it would be very difficult putting your hand in the dirt and have to new you know you know block one on one versus the ends and outside linebackers is uh takes years of uh of 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 work and practice and, and certain body types to be able to do that. Um, but on the other hand, a lot of teams use the tight end uh, in the slot and, re- and rarely ever get down in the dirt. So, um, you know, in that respect, I think he can excel. Um, uh, so, you know, just I think it would be have to be situational um, in what offense he's in um, to determine that success.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, and now, outside of football, you, you've also had the opportunity to explore the worlds of philanthropy, humanitarianism, and entrepreneurship as well. I just wanted to hear, uh, and I'm sure the audience would would love to hear as well, just about um, the creation of the Next Chapter Center that you were part of, and also the Anthony Stefano Foundation, and just kind of how those got started and uh, how things are going today.
1: Yeah, well, I'll start with the foundation. Um, I grew up in, in northern New Jersey. I always wanted to give back um, to my local area, and make some kind of social impact. started the foundation two thousand and eight um and our mission was to you know assist underprivileged children um that are struggling. Uh, we linked up with a an autistic school, the Reed academy, uh put on a couple of fundraising events and had a had a great time with that relationship and still have a close relationship with them um you know, and also have done some events for military families. Um, that, you know, the veteran has come back and and, um, needed some assistance and and family-wise. So I'm super proud of the work we've done there. And, um, you know, now we'll be able to kind of link up now that I'm done playing uh, some Notre Dame charities. Uh, I was fortunate enough to get linked up with um, Brady Quinn and executive tours and, you know, plan this Ireland golf trip um, for a great cause on, on the back end of it. So uh, love golf, love meeting Notre dame fans and uh look forward to um having a great time over in Ireland um If you have some of that information, I can get it for you um for for people to be able to sign up as far as next chapter um, i had a, I had a family member um with addiction uh came down to Florida, had a really good experience in treatment um got clean and still clean now and um <laughs> Uh, he, he devoted his life to working in that field. So I got behind him. We created a new team in center um, about five and a half years ago. Uh, we recently just did a merger with a, uh, a startup out in uh, Vail, Colorado. So we are now um, all points North lodge and uh, we've taken our clinical team and our program and, and put it out there for now. So um uh, am really excited about opening up that new facility and, um, Look, look to be able to help a lot more people
0: big thanks to anthony for taking the time out to join the podcast if you want to support some of the work that he's doing with executive tours you can find more information at egttourscom com forward slash brady quinn tour next up is my conversation with nathan erbach of slap the sign Alright, I now welcome on Nathan Erbach to the podcast, a fellow slap design Sign writer and also a fellow Miami Heat fan. Nathan, how are you doing today? I'm good, I'm good. Yeah, you gotta throw in the Miami Heat sometime. I, so the, the reason why the reason why is because uh, I did the same with Chase when I talked to him, uh, it must have been like two months ago, and I mean, just... Funny coincidence that the first two people I bring out from Slop Design are also Miami Heat fans. So, if any of our other fellow Slop Design writers are out there listening, and you want to come on the podcast, just uh, ch- join the Heatles and uh, I'll bring you right on. Right, right. And most people <laughs> think I'm a most people
2: think I'm a bandwagon Heat fan because I'm from Vegas and I have absolutely zero ties to Miami. But uh, I've been a big Dwayne Wade guy my whole life. So,
0: yeah, I mean, how could you not? Um all right, so starting off on a bit of a somber note we're gonna do i wanted to do a quick recap of of the f s u game last night so we're recording on uh thursday march fifth uh and last night Notre Dame just had absolute heartbreak heartbreaking loss to to f s u They led for i mean basically the whole game. <laughs> And then with three seconds left, um, uh, FSU hit a a layup to take a two-point lead. And Prentice Hub had a half-court heave that was actually kind of on the mark and hit back iron, but rimmed out. Um, But, I mean, a a game that Notre Dame absolutely needed to have to keep any semblance of uh, hopes of getting an at-large bid to the NCAA. And just to lose it like that was, was an absolute... Heartbreaker. So, Nathan, uh, just kind of want to get your thoughts on the game last night, and then also, I guess, bigger picture, just the the season as a whole for the men's basketball team.
2: Yeah, um, I mean, obviously, this season has been a pretty. Yeah, uh, you you kind of put the word put the nail on the head. I think uh, somber has been is probably a pretty good word to describe the uh, the feeling of of this season. Uh, it's a lot of uh, a lot of heartbreak, and uh, honestly, like after the, after the Wake Forest loss, there were a lot of, um, you know, people saying that they were, they were done. And I was sort of, I had a little bit of a different kind of feeling towards, towards their season with that. Um, I thought that a quad one win, um, you know, against Florida state would do wonders, especially if they were able to, you know, finish out the regular season with a win at Virginia tech and then, You know, maybe win a few games in the you know in the ACC tournament or something like that. But no, I think I think yesterday broke my heart more than any game this year, and that's saying a lot considering all the uh, yeah all the uh, all the different ones that they've had. And you know, we can go through the list, but I don't know if I want to go through (laughs) through the list. Um, But no, I mean, I think I you, I think I read a tweet that said they led for all but 19 seconds of that game. Which, if you lose a game when you lead for all but 19 seconds of a, you know, what is it? 40, 40 minutes in college basketball. That's, that's tough. And, um, you know, they almost beat Florida state the last time they played and it's weird, man. This team is just so close to being honestly really good. Like I know a lot of people want to blame Bray for recruiting and they want to blame the players for maybe not being, you know, as good as years past. But I mean, how can you, how can you look at what they've done just in general? And they've been maybe almost every game besides a few, Um, you know, I almost attribute it more to depth than anything. And I know I'm getting off of, you know, getting on a tangent a little bit, not related to yesterday per se, but it's just, uh, it's weird, man. They, they look, they seem like they're so close, but uh, yet so far away.
0: Yeah. And it just seemed like, like everything was, was set up perfectly to get that, signature win that they hadn't had in, in so long. He um, had the moon pie give out uh, to all the fans are passing out, you know, those, those <laughs> I don't know, it's like hostess or whatever, the little moon pies with the marshmallow filling uh, in honor of, of John Mooney and the incredible season that he's had. Um, it, ha- it being the last home game of the regular season and uh The men's basketball team not beating a ranked opponent in what was it like two years or something like that? I think it's yeah two years and a couple
2: months. Yeah, it's like now now twenty one straight, which is uh, which is really unlike them. Just in general as a program, even when they have down years, they seem to be a team that upsets. uh, You know, you know they they upset people. I mean, everybody understands realizes the uh, UCLA days when they you know when they broke that streak and. Um, even when they just have been quality, like kind of like this year when they haven't been a ranked team, but they've been a decent team. They seem to, you know, come up with those big wins. And it's just been a a killer the last two years.
0: Yeah. And they just seemed like they they came out hot and, uh, and it wasn't like they, they cooled off for the entire second half. They actually built, built out their lead and their, their largest lead of 13 was, was like right under nine minutes left to play. And then the offense just in the last, Six or seven minutes or so, just i don't know it was just confusing at times. It was just a lot of uh they're just settling for threes kind of like early on in the shot clock and and some bad turnovers and it was just it kind of i guess kind of a uh, just encapsulates the- the season um right in, in, right in one whole game uh so uh, looking forward into the future next year, obviously big loss with with John Mooney departing but What do you think are some realistic expectations for this team next season? You know, it's tough to say
2: at the moment. I mean, I think we should expect that Bray is going to go out and try to find at least one and probably two guys that can play immediately for them that aren't already signed or, you know, or Cormac Ryan, who's going to be on, you know, on the team next year as a, as the, as the transfer coming in from Stanford. But um You know, because you you know, like you said, you're losing Mooney, who you know is one of the best players in the entire country. You lose TJ Gibbs, who had a, who did have a bounce back senior season. You know, I don't think he was ever the perfect player, or maybe the player that people thought we were going to get when they when he signed. Um, You know, especially it seems like whenever Bray lands a guy that's as good as him from a recruiting standpoint, they work out, Um, and you know, and then you lose. Rex Fluger, obviously, who's not an offensive threat, but you know, clearly a team leader and an outstanding defensive player. So you're losing three three starters. Um, whether or not you want to count Fluger as a starter or not, that's what he is. But um, so, I mean, it's weird. Uh, I'm kind of, before I get into next year a little bit, I'm a little, the one thing I'm most frustrated with Bray about, I think is Juwan Durham's play time this year. I know he likes to do the old, you know, four around one system, but I thought there were games this year where Durham was playing well or could have made a difference with his length down low and he just didn't use him in the second half a lot. And I think yesterday was another good example of that. Um, so obviously, I mean, I think he's going to be a guy next year that, you know, I don't think he's going to be Mooney offensively, but if he can be, you know, a 30, 30 minute guy and give you a down low presence, um, especially on, you know, the defensive, you know, defensive boards, shot blocking, um, that will improve because as good as Mooney was there, you know, and as good as he was actually defensively for his size and his athleticism, um, you know, Durham could bring something there that they haven't had um, in the in the low post. So I, I, I I'm a kind of cautiously cautiously optimistic that, um, like I said, even though they won't get the scoring from that area of the court that they that they're used to, um, that you know maybe the defensive side of things will be better. Um, but just kind of going down the roster, I mean, obviously I think the sophomore class. Um, you have to expect that those guys are going to continue to improve. I mean, Apprentice Hub, I think, has no issue with confidence. Um, and last year that was maybe a downside of his game, and this year at times it was a downside. But, you know, when he got hot and, you know, when he got hot, he was, you know, one of the best players in the ACC. Um, and we joke about road, road Hub all the time. And when, <laughs> it sounds kind of <laughs> weird coming off the mouth when you say it, but um, – but no, and on the road, Hub was just a different, a different player at times, and he kind of played that way yesterday at home. And if he if he can be a little bit more consistent and a little bit smarter, then I think you're looking at one of the best point guards in the ACC. Um, Cormac Ryan, I mean, I don't think enough people realize how good that he's going to be. I mean, I, I think he's better than TJ Gibbs. Um, and as much as I love TJ Gibbs as a player and you know and as a person and so on and so forth from everything I've heard. Um, I think Cormac Ryan's going to be a step up there at the two position or maybe even the lead point position, um, you know, and then you're going to have Goodwin and Leschewski, um in their in year three in the program. And then Carmody, hopefully cross my fingers, can stay healthy for a full year. Cause I think he brings sort of a Rex Pfluger type of game, but maybe a little bit more offensive ability there. Um, but, you know, I think it's going to come down to what they can get here. Late, you know, in the spring, and then if they can land a few grad transfers and stuff like that, because they definitely need it
0: for what they're for what they're losing. Okay, one one final question, and we can leave it at this. Uh, if you had to bet money on it, will this team make the NCAA tournament next season? Oh man, <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm. I think you know me by now. I'm a, I'm a pretty optimistic fan. I'm not the type of fan that. That's gonna talk talk bad, and I have a hard time believing that Bray is gonna go four seasons without without a bid. So I think he's gonna make make it happen. So I would say I would say like sixty five, sixty five thirty five. They make it next year.
0: Yeah, I, I tend to agree. Just I mean, given the, the the quality of of Mike Bray and his staff, and also like basketball is just one of those sports where you know it's it's a make or miss game and you get a couple bounces to to go your way in a season and get some breaks where some of these close losses become close wins then you can find yourself right there as, as a bubble team all right so let's switch gears and talk about the recent NFL combine and more specifically the former Notre Dame players who participated in it so Of the Irish players that participated in the combine, who were some guys that you think did well and maybe improved their draft stock? And on the flip side, who are some guys who, who might've underperformed?
2: Uh, I mean, obviously I think Claypool sticks out as a guy. I mean, I think, if you talk to the Notre Dame coaching staff and and other people that are closer to the program, um, and even maybe even guys like us who are, you know, at Slap the Sign and maybe don't have the inside info that others have, but just follow the program like we do, we weren't necessarily surprised that Claypool came out and did what he did. Um I, I think it was more surprising last year, like with what when Boinken came out and ran a four four two. Um, I wasn't surprised per se that that play was able to run in like the four fours. So, I mean, but from a national perspective, I think that obviously helped his stock. Um, and then, you know, Cole commit, uh, I think he kind of, he was more of a guy that just came out and did what you, what he needed to do to kind of keep his draft stock. Um, it's weird with him. It seems like a lot of people weren't expecting him to come out just like we weren't necessarily. Um, and when he did, it kind of shook up the whole tight end, uh you know 2020 NFL draft class so people, I think people kind of view him as a raw prospect, but if he hits that potential, he'll be really good. So I think he, I don't know if he improved his stock per se, but I think he kind of justified his position. Um, and then the other guy, and this is going to be weird, probably for Notre Dame fans that thought he was going to run like this four two nine or four, you know, low four, three forty. But I think Troy pride helped himself. I think in the NFL draft community, they knew Tro- Troy pride was fast. Um, and to be completely honest for what position he's going to be playing and you know the player he is on the field him at least justifying that he's at the very least a 44 caliber player um you know i think i think will help his stock um kind of help his stock from what he already gave at the uh, senior bowl and and give him a second or third round type of grade
0: yeah i mean for for claypool that stat of him being the only wide receiver to run sub 4.5 while being 6'4 and two two 235 pounds. And the only other guy to do that was, was Calvin Johnson. I feel like that right. that alone, like, bumps your draft grade up, like, at least like a half round.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it has to. I mean, what are you looking at? Yeah. When, look
0: at when he saw that, he was just like, oh, my God, hell yes. Thank God. Yeah. Someone pulled this out. Um, all right. Uh, so... Based on all this now, and obviously we still got to wait to see um, some things that might change at the pro day, although I, I think for those three guys that we, we just mentioned there, probably not going to see a whole lot change. I'm not, I'm not sure what their participation will be when Notre Dame holds its pro day uh, later on, but who from that group do you think has the chance to be selected in, in the, the first two rounds of the NFL draft in April? Um,
2: I mean, I'd probably stick with the three. Uh, well, actually, I guess I didn't even, we didn't even get to the defensive side of the ball, but, um, for the most part, um, yeah, no, I mean, obviously Cole Komet, I mean, I think there's a good chance he's the first tight end taken. And whenever you're the first player taken at your position, there's obvious, obviously a chance you're going to go in the first round. Um, and it seems like there's a lot of teams this year that need a tight end, including my Chicago bears. So. Um, now they're not in the first round. So if Colt Komet wants to go to the bears, I'm sorry. He's going to have to go in the second, but, um, other than that, I mean, obviously I think Claypool rose his stock enough to where there's a decent chance he can go second round. I wouldn't, wouldn't classify him as a first round player, just based on what I've seen. Um, and then the other guy, I think obviously is Julian Aquara. I mean, past, um, you know, I think we all, we all know that, you know, quarterbacks, um, offensive tackles and, it seems like pass rushers seem to be the the cream of the crop when it comes to NFL draft and NFL draft boards. So um, his speed rush ability and the fact that he was able to kind of back up that he ha- he does have power in his game with the, uh, I think, 27 bench reps he put up. If he can do anything at the pro pro day that shows his speed off a little bit, if he's, if he's healthy and ready to go, I think there's a decent chance he can go in the back of the first round.
0: Yeah, he's, I think he's the player player to watch when when the pro day finally does roll around uh because this first go around he he didn't run still still rehabbing that uh late season leg injury he suffered so if yeah if he's able to to post some good times in in the 40 and um maybe in the three cone or, or the shuttle whatever he decides to do uh i think he could very easily raise his draft stock um all right and with Claypool's performance, I know there was some talk after the, the measurements came out since he had put on like 9 or 10 pounds or so. People started uh, talking about or floating the the possibility of him making the switch from from wide receiver to tight end. And he was even asked that, I think, in, in one of his media availabilities. And he was like, I mean, he gave the, the you know, cliche answer that you kind of have to do where he was like, yeah, I'll do whatever the team that drafts me asks me to do. Um but i think with with uh how he performed at the combine uh I think he maybe quieted those rumors a little bit. Do you think uh that switch is kind of dead now since he performed so well at the combine um you know
2: i I think too many people are reading i think people are reading too much into like the tight end talk i mean if you look around the nFL now, you have a lot of like your flex tight ends or your big slots, um, which is what I think people were really classifying him as. And it was more of a compliment to his overall game. Um, And I I do think that that's a good spot for him in the NFL. He can provide, you know, a mismatch, sort of like an Evan Ingram um, type of player. So I wouldn't say that he's, I mean, he's never going to be like your inline tight end where he's, you know, has a three, he's in a three point stance and he's blocking, you know, defensive ends at the line of scrimmage and stuff like that. So I think too many people, when they saw a tight end, they, that's what they, that's what they kind of assumed. But I think the NFL draft community views him, you know, more as like a mismatched threat. Now, with that said, with those, like kind of like what you were mentioning with, His combine numbers, I do think you're going to see some teams that have varying opinions on him, and I think it's just going to honestly be based on where he goes. Um, I'll bring up the Bears again just because they're my team, but if he goes to the Bears, I think that he's more of a big slot where he can fill in for a guy like Trey Burton, and they would love him there. Um, But if he goes to, I don't know, like, I, I'm not exactly sure of, of all the other teams in the NFL, but if you go to a, a, like maybe a wide receiver needy team, like the Philadelphia Eagles who already have Zach Ertz and Dallas Gardett, uh Goddard, you know, then maybe he lines up outside more often. And um, you know, you, I, I think he's just one of those guys you have to find a way to create mismatches for, because he'll, he'll have them. If you, if you find the right ones.
0: Yeah. And I know like, I, I, I do understand the, the argument that, Hey, you get a guy with this athleticism and, and speed and, you get him lined up uh, on a linebacker or, or even a safety, for that matter. Then that, yeah, that's a great mismatch. But he's also huge. I mean, he's <laughs> he's he's six four. So like, I, I mean, if he's going up against a standard NFL cornerback, I mean, he's going to have a height advantage on the those guys. And you know, his his vertical leap is is over forty inches. So he's got the size and most likely a, a jumping advantage over most cornerbacks so I mean I feel like he's he's really a mismatch anywhere he can line up um, maybe I'm just being a little bit too much of a homer uh, <laughs> considering he's an ND guy but I think he'll do just fine um, realistically though if if he was in a, a different draft class I think we, we we could be talking about him being a, a potential first round pick but given the depth that wide receiver in this class I'd don't think it's going to happen. Um, all right. Well, thanks Nathan for, for taking the time to come on and talk some football and hoops with me. I, I'd really appreciate it. And, um, hopefully we can do this again soon. Uh, in the meantime, where, where can people follow some of the work that you do?
2: Yes, yeah, so, I mean I'm on I'm on Twitter at I think it's Las Vegas Irish 09. I should probably get that changed here sooner or later <laughs> so people can follow me a little bit easier. But um, currently trying to do the whole two two Twitter platforms so all my friends aren't annoyed by my, all my Notre Dame talk. So yeah, um, yeah Las Vegas Las Vegas Irish 09, or if you type in my first and last
0: name, I'm sure you can find me as well. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thanks again. And like I said, hopefully we can get you on the podcast again sometime soon. Thanks for having me, man. Yep. Take it easy. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the Slauncher route. For all information about upcoming episodes, you can follow us on Twitter at the Slauncher route, all one word. And Slauncher is spelled S-L-A-I-N-T-E. Until next time, go Irish.